18? 18 total years. They were over in Italy and Switzerland. He co-pastored a church there. And then he went back to the States, got his MDiv and PhD at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. And then he went to Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and then eventually um, was at Southern in 2003, where he teaches now. So um, grateful to have him. I'll just share one story uh, why I love Dr. Allison and admire him as a professor. So normally a seminar is really small, eight to 10 people. And I took a seminar with him in December that had maybe 20, 20 plus students, so it was huge. And one of the first things he did, he uh, went on the whiteboard, drew these columns of blank lines, and, and then he said, um, you know, so students, you can sign up, put your name in one of those spots, and then, so each day of the seminar, I'll take those five students to lunch. And so anytime you see Dr. Allison on campus, uh, you'll often see him with students. And um, that's just really impactful. And um, yeah, it's great to see. So I'll pray, and, uh, and then he'll come up and share with us. Father, we are grateful uh, for your word. We're grateful to, to gather and train. And we're grateful for Greg and um, his years of training to provide this uh, service to us. I pray that it would be a blessing to us, that it would encourage and equip us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for those uh, kind words. Um, so Aaron's one of my supervisees. Uh, it means I'm overseeing his dissertation and things like that. Um, and want you to know he's one of our best students, and you probably already know that, right? So um, he thinks one day he'll graduate. In fact, his dad's saying, we're going to come out for the graduation, and I go, that assumes that we're going to let him graduate because we keep the best, we just keep flunking him, so they have to keep taking classes, right? But then also, uh, one day, assuming we let him go, there'll be two doctors in his household, right? only one of whom can really help people. <laughs> the theologian. <laughs> Last night we looked at the proper state of human existence is embodiment. It is by God's design, human beings are embodied. We're not only soul or immaterial, spiritual beings, but we're physical, we're embodied, material beings. And that's God's design for us as human beings. There's another realm, angelic beings, that are immaterial, they're spiritual, they're not physical, but we are. And so the application question for last night was, are you thankful that God created you as an embodied person? And I think most, if not everyone, answered Yes. This morning, we're going to talk about the sexed or gendered body. And just for simplicity's sake, I'm going to use sex and gender interchangeably in this discussion. The second talk this morning, I'm going to make a distinction. But we're going to talk about the sexed or gendered body, the fact that we're either male or female. 
Like we started last night, again, in your small discussion, here's the topic I want you to discuss. Uh, it's a statement, and do you agree or disagree with it? Every person has an engendered experience of their own. Every human being, every person, experiences themselves as a male or a female. So a woman, for example, self-consciously experiences herself as a female image-bearer of God. And she reflects directly on what it means to be a female image-bearer of God. Equally for men, a man self-consciously experiences himself as a male image-bearer of God, and he reflects on what it means to be a male image bearer of God. Do you agree or disagree and why? Take a couple minutes in your small group. Is that a we, we, is the is question clear? Okay. <laughs> Well, the calm seems to indicate that you're ready to talk about your answer. So uh, just out loud, stand up, and then do you agree or disagree? Uh, every person has an experience of his or her gender. Women experiencing herself as a woman, reflecting on the fact that she's a woman, the same thing for a man. Do you agree, disagree, and why? Stand up, yeah. We, we agreed, but we didn't have a lot of deep things to say about <laughs> Okay, okay. What might that lack of explanation indicate? It, it seems obvious. It seems obvious. That's a simple uh, expression. I think it's profound. You did have deep things. <laughs> Someone over there, yes, stand up. So, um, I agree with that, but I had a question about people who have chromosomal or genetic abnormalities. We'll come back to that. Yeah, intersex conditions, yep. Stand up. I think what counters or maybe muddies the obvious yeah. is yeah. Uh, the cultural aspect where yes. are we being told, are, are we just conditioned yep. by our culture? Yeah. So I think because that's in our mind, the obvious sometimes gets, gets dismissed or like, it's like, well, is it obvious or is it this other stuff? And so it, I think it ends up muddying our clarity on Did you see Barbie with your wife? Yeah. And there was a lot of gender stuff there, right? Cultural gender stuff. Yeah. So somebody else? Agree, disagree? Kevin. You know, even paleontologists, they can look at bones and say this was a woman, this was a man. 
5,000 years ago. And, and genetically, um, it's clear except for a very small percentage that have genetic abnormalities. Yeah. We're not going to get into pronouns. <laughs> but, it, but it is. Genderness is at the very core of our being. And, and that's the big idea for today. Right? Because our sex, our gender, our maleness or femaleness maps onto our embodiment. Yes, there's the intersex condition. We'll come back to that later. But because our, our maleness or femaleness, our sex, um, maps onto our embodiment an essential, fundamental given of embodied human existence is maleness or femaleness. Because of this mapping on of our sex to our embodiment, and we're all embodied, then an essential, a fundamental given of human existence is maleness or femaleness. And this is by God's design. God has purposed and God has designed, God has created us as either female-gendered embodied image bearers or male-gendered embodied image bearers. To put it in common speech, we're gendered all the way down, from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. We are gendered human beings. And this fundamental givenness of maleness or femaleness will lead us to our application question at the end of this second talk. Are you thankful for the gender that God created you? Are you thankful for the gender that God created you? If you're a man, are you thankful that God created you a man? If you're a woman, are you thankful that God created you as a woman? That's going to be our application uh, question in uh, a few minutes. Why, biblically, do we affirm maleness and femaleness? Again, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis 1. We looked at this last night, verse 26, Genesis 1:26. The divine deliberation, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, planning, purposing to create a being more like God than any other being that has been created. And so the divine plan, the divine intention is to create human beings in the divine image. So God created man, according to verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. The details of the man's creation and the woman's creation are recounted for us in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates the first male image bearer, Adam. And then in verses 18 to 25, God creates the first female image bearers. We have Adam and Eve. So this creation of human beings as either male or female is not unique, nor is it surprising, because it follows the pattern of binary creation that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2. Think with me about these binaries that God has woven into creation. There's nothing at one point 
and then something. There's creator, and there's creatures. There's heaven and earth, light and darkness, day and night, evening and morning, the waters above and the waters below, dry land and waters, the sun and the moon, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, work and rest, good and evil. There is a pattern of binarity, of binariness that God has created, with, uh, with which God has created the world. And our creation, the creation of human beings as male or female, is part of this pattern. So there's no such thing as non-genderness or ah-genderness. There's either male or female, according to God's design, which is worked out in the many binarities in the created order. We're either male or female. By talk later on, we're going to look at confusion about that as we look at gender dysphoria and as we look at transgenderism, but that's going to come on my third talk, last talk, the second one this morning. Let's do a little theological reflections then on this biblical data. The fundamental givenness of human beings, we are either male or female. So there's this binary reality. We're male or female, and there's no other possibility. But what does it mean to be a man, and what does it mean to be a woman? So I'm going to share a definition of a man and a definition of a woman. Um, I can say this is one of the most difficult things I've ever been involved in. Uh, a couple years ago, I, I wrote these definitions. So let me offer those, and then we'll uh, give some uh, implications. A man is a human being created in the divine image in the male type of humankind. A man is a human being created in the divine image in the male type of humankind. What do I mean? A big category for human beings, we're going to call that humankind or humanity. And there are two types. There's the male type and there's the female type. So a man is a human being created in the divine image in the male type of humankind and who inherently, naturally expresses common human capacities like reason, emotions, and will, and who inherently, naturally expresses common human properties like goodness and courage, gentleness, kindness, initiative, expresses the common human capacities and common human properties in ways that are typical of and fitting for a man. I'll, I'll, I'll explain more just getting the basic definitions out. A woman is a human being created in the divine image in the female type of humankind. So big category, humanity or humankind. The first one, man, male type. Second one, female type. A woman is a human being created in the divine image in the female type of humankind. 
and who inherently, naturally, expresses these common human capacities like cognition and memory and sentiment and volition, decision-making and things like that, and expresses common human properties like goodness and gentleness and courage and initiative and things like that, inherently expresses the common human capacities and common human properties in ways that are typical of and fitting for a woman. Total blank stares. Okay, let me explain point by point. We, we okay? Okay, we'll, we'll dive into this. A couple of points of explanation. Uh, first, uh, God's creation of human beings results in image bearers who are either male or female. We've already established that point. It's biblically grounded. The divine creation of human beings results in image bearers uh, who are either uh, male, there's two of them up here, or female, there's one up here. More specifically, again, there's, there's this humankind. This is the big category, humanity or humankind. And there are two types, the male type and the female type. So we're male-gendered image bearers or female-gendered image bearers. Second, the ground for this distinction between the male type and the female type, the ground, the foundation, is biological. The ground or the foundation is biological. Men and women are fundamentally different because of chromosomes, hormones, and other physical particularities, genitalia, skeletal, muscular brain structures, and so forth. Let's think about a man who has these unique biological realities. From his biological foundation flows a man's capacity to impregnate women and his potential of being a father. As for a woman who has her particular realities, from her biological foundation flows a woman's capacity to become pregnant and her potential of becoming a mother. Grounding these definitions of a man and woman in biology does not reduce human nature in general, nor the nature of men and women in particular in biological factors. That's not the only thing that's at play here. So the answer to the question, what is a man and what is a woman, can't be answered completely by reference to biology because there are cultural and contextual factors in all of this. So the grounding, the foundation is biological, but that's not the only explanation for what is a man and what is a woman. There's, there's a lot more at stake. There's nature and nurture. There's culture and context that um, form us and that push us to express our gender in certain ways. Third, God created men and women alike. Here's the equal creation of men and women in the divine image. God created men and women alike with these common human capacities and common human properties. Let me explain a little bit more in detail what I mean. Let's think, first of all, about common human capacities. 
rationality, the ability to reason, thinking ability, cognition, our memory, imagination, our emotions, our feelings, our sentiments, our motivations, purposing, and much more. These are common human capacities. So we move away from the 2,500-year-old view of women as being irrational and then being rational. No, rationality is a common human capacity that is shared by men and women alike. What about common human properties? These include gentleness, courage, initiative, nurturing, patience, protectiveness, goodness, and much, much more. Some of these common human properties are virtues, like courage, steadfastness. Some of these are fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. Men and women alike share these common human properties. So there's no particular capacity or no particular um, property that is exclusively for men or exclusively for women. At the same time, by God's design, these common human capacities and common human properties are inherently, naturally, and always expressed in a male way for men and a female way for women. So if we would put on a board two columns, the top of this one, male, the top of this one, female, we would put goodness in both. We would put feelings in both. We would put nurturing in both. Wait, nurturing in both? Yes, but here's where we often get tripped up. We think only women can be nurturing because only women can breastfeed. So we think here is the big difference. Nurturing belongs in the female column, not the male column. One of my students said, wait a second, yeah, my wife nurtured my ki our kids when they were young by breastfeeding, something that I could not do. I nurture my kids. I'm an electrician and plumber. I'm teaching them craft, those trades. That's how I'm nurturing them. So goodness and courage, initiative, protectiveness. Wait, wait, wait a second. Doesn't protectiveness belong in this column, the male column? Yesterday at our, one of our meetings, Allison was there with her little baby, whatever, Ben or something, whatever. And, <laughs> and I said, let's say an attacker comes in, right, and, and is aimed at her, her little son. Um, the mother bear syndrome kicks in. And, and woe to that attacker, because Allison, mama bear, is going to destroy him. Wait, wait, protectiveness goes in this column, the male column. No, it's a common human property that will be expressed for Allison in a female way and for you, what's your name? Gavin, Gavin in a male way, right? So Allison destroys this guy, and for the next six months, she's just weeping, and, oh, I destroyed a life. And, and you kill this guy, and he's like, yeah. I mean, that's male, female way and male way, right? So men 
typically, naturally, um, express these capacities and properties in ways that are typical of and fitting for men, and women express these capacities and properties in ways that are typical of and fitting for women. Notice, in these two columns, I never said anything about roles. I never said anything about roles. And that's on purpose. Because there are hundreds of books, thousands of articles and podcasts that you can tune into about roles. And I think uh, many of us are role-focused to such a degree that we miss common human capacities and common human properties. I'm a complementarian, as is this, is this church. I believe there are certain roles for men in both the church and in the, in the family. I think as a complementarian, there are certain roles for women in, their, in the church and the family. I agree. I think we would be on the same page, me and your church. But I don't want to focus on that because we get easily distracted. And then we construct the male column and the female common, column based on roles, and we miss the things that we share in common, but we always express in male ways or female ways. Fourth, when I say men express these capacities and properties in ways that are typical of and fitting for men, same thing for women, when, when I talk about that, articulating what that looks like is notoriously difficult. Notoriously difficult. So, a man who wears skinny jeans and kind of uh, changes his voice and has certain postures, manners, behaviors, is he just acting as a man or is he trying to be a feminized man? It's hard to say. But I know there is a line which men and women can cross such that they are no longer expressing these capacities and properties in ways that are fitting, typical of and fitting for a man. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20 talks about effeminate men. Can, can I write out a list of what that would actually look like? I could try, but I think it would be an infinite uh, list, and it's going to change from culture to culture. I know there's a line. According to Deuteronomy, men are not supposed to wear women's clothing, and women are not supposed to wear men's clothing. Right? That's very culturally determined, isn't it? I know there's a line. But if Gavin wears a crop sweater, is that what it's called? Crop? What, what is it called? What's that? Crop top. If he wears a crop top? Mm -hmm. I wonder, right? <laughs> Would you? Would you wear one? No, no okay. <laughs> Would that be crossing the line? Yeah. Okay, he knows where the line is, right? <laughs> Three errors to avoid here. Three errors to avoid. Three errors to avoid. The one error, first error, is to so differentiate uh, female, uh, male and female expressions of these capacities and properties that the, that the properties, for example, become completely distinct. There's a male goodness, and there's a female goodness. I don't think that's right. That's one extreme. Second error is to so stereotype these expressions 
that men and women who don't perfectly fit the mold feel that mm, maybe I'm not the sex that God created me. So church retreat uh, for men, there's uh, afternoon off. Here are the activities you can join in. Uh, ATVs, driving around, hunting, fishing, smoking cigars. Right, but uh, Aaron Lewis would like to paint a landscape and Terry Williams would like to bake a really great dessert for the evening. But, okay, sanctified imagination, right? So we determine what male activities are, uh, hunting, smoking cigars, things like that, driving trucks. And the men who go to the retreat and are in this afternoon space, they go, am I really a man? I, I don't like any of those things. So we want, the second error is to stereotype these expressions such that those who don't fit the mold become confused about their femaleness or their maleness. The third error is to consider typical and fitting to be whatever the cultural context allows. I think that's another area. There is a line. You cross the line and you're no longer a man expressing your maleness. You're a man trying to express some femaleness and vice versa for women. Fifth, these inherently, these naturally gendered expressions of these capacities and properties means at the minimum that I experience myself as a man. That was your opening uh, question. I relate to all of you as a man, and as a man, I relate to God. My wife, Nora, experiences, knows herself as a woman. She relates to others as a woman, and as a woman, she relates to God. And we have these realities. I cannot imagine what it's like to be a woman, to know myself as a woman, to relate to others as a woman, and as a woman to relate to God, vice versa for my, for my wife, Nora. We are gendered in our perspectives. We're gendered from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. We're perspectively gendered, which is a key reason why we desperately need one another. To get out of ourselves, to get out of our very limited perspectives and be able to see the world, not through the eyes of others, but hear their perspectives. We desperately need each other. Men need women, women need men, and I'm not talking necessarily about marriage, which is only one relationship out of many, many, many. We need to be transported beyond our limited point of view so we can experience life in a multifaceted way. We need one another so that as male image bearers and female image bearers, by God's design, we can fill out and mutually support one another relationally, in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, and so forth. Um, Sixth and last, there are certain advantages to these definitions, these, the, the focus on men and women and how I've defined it. Notice, again, 
I'm talking about what is the nature of a man? What's the nature of a woman? Not the roles. Because who we are, what we are, our nature, is the key point for us, the fundamental reality, our identity as male image bearers and female uh, image bearers. That's the most important thing about us, created in the divine image and for believers being redeemed in the image of Jesus Christ. Roles, functions, tasks, duties flow out of our identity, out of our nature, not vice versa. So we need to understand who we are, what is our identity as image bearers being redeemed by Jesus Christ, so that then together, men and women, we can pursue what is the highest goal, which is Christ-likeness. Not roles, not functions, but Christ-likeness is the greatest call that all male image bearers and female genders have before them in Christ. Paul talks about Romans 13, 14, we put on Christ. And we will put on Christ and we will express our Christ-likeness in ways that are typical of and fitting for a man and ways that are typical of and fitting for a woman, but we answer the call to the highest uh, point, the highest reason for our existence, which is to be more like Jesus Christ. So application for you, again, in your small group, are you thankful for the gender that God created you and why? Are you thankful for the gender that God created you and why? Take a couple minutes on that and then we'll do some Q&A. Are you thankful for the gender that God created you? If you're a man, are you thankful that you're a man, a woman? You're thankful that you're a woman and why? Take a couple minutes on that. Okay, all right, are you, thank, are you thankful for the gender that God created you, and why? Who wants to start? Gavin, you want to start us off on this? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm thankful for being a man because God made me exactly who I was supposed to be, and as we said in our group, he doesn't make mistakes, so okay. this is exactly what he wanted me to be, and with his perfect vision in mind. Thank you for that. Thank you. Somebody else? Yes? Um, I'm I, can you stand up? Yeah. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> I'm thankful for my gender in my family unit. Okay. Not in society sometimes. Because? Because it feels like being male has more privilege and power and voice and representation than being female. Yep. Thank you for your honesty. That's right. Somebody else? Yes? I'm going to follow up on that because while I'm thankful for my gender, I'm also thankful for the, the issues that come along with it in society because that gives me a voice to change and being part of my purpose and my gender to have Help those Keep doing that. Thank you. 
Somebody else? What brought about the change? Jesus. Good. Anyone else thankful for it? Maybe just as an encouragement, I'm writing a book called Complementarity. So how men and women fill out and mutually support one another in various areas. And um, I, I want to help change at least the church culture, which strongly, more or less strong, um, favors men over women. And part of the, my project is tracing 2,500 years of philosophy and theology, which has a horrific concept of women. And I think we're still um, weighed down by that, and I hope that things will change through Jesus and courageous people. Let's do Q&A. Do you have uh, any questions about this or the one from last night? Maybe just a question on maybe a practical... It's, stand up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you mentioned an event where you've got HPVs and hunting and yeah. What would be, in your opinion, a better way to structure something like that I hesitate to use the word inclusive, but to make it more inclusive. So knowing that Aaron's going to be there and Terry's going to be there, um, say, here's the, here's the five activities we're going to do. ATVs, uh, smoking cigars, uh, hunting, uh, painting, and baking. And just let the men parse themselves out and decide what they want to do. So that you're communicating to Aaron, it's great you want to be a painter. And to Terry, it's great that you want to bake. Right? The greatest bakers in the world are French men, right? So you think about your audience. Exactly, yeah. Does that, that make sense? And, and yeah, just being sensitive. The church does not want to contribute to the confusion that's rampant in society. So we have to have our antennas specially up for this. There was an, yes, go ahead, stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Not in yeah. Is there gender in uh, <laughs> Lisa and I were talking about this. Yes, there is. So I'm a gendered person. So in the intermediate state between my death and resurrection, I will be Greg Allison, um, a Caucasian male born in Chicago with my ethnicity and all like that, my particularities. And then when I'm re-embodied at the return of Jesus and living in the new heavens and the new earth, I will be uh, my ethnically Caucasian, uh, gendered, male-gendered Greg Allison with all of my particularities. Um, the change in the age to come is that there will be no marriage. So Lisa and, I can't remember, and James will not be married. Um, we're not sure how they'll relate to their kids um, but I think you'll still be their dad and their mom, maybe. Um, but there will be no marriage, but there will be gender. So there will be something greater than 
uh, marriage in heaven because that's also a type of Christ and his church, but all of that is fulfilled completely. So that will give way to genderedness will be the same, uh, but there will be no marriage. I think there will still be vocation. There will still be work in the new heavens and the new earth, and who knows, you may be appointed to rule over seven planets. No idea. I have no Vocation, but not procreation. V vocation, but not procreation. Remember the two sides of the cultural mandate? Yeah. Another question? We've got time for another one. James. Jamin, sorry. Um, how do we understand Paul in Galatians 3 where he says in Christ all that stuff stripped away? Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, no male or female. It doesn't mean that there are no Gentiles and there are no Jews. It doesn't mean that there are no men and there are no women. What it means is the the predominant barriers that divided us are completely torn down through the cross of Jesus Christ so that we're saved by his blood and resurrection and we're united into one body. Neither men nor women have superiority, greater access to salvation. We're all part of the same body, but you're still a man. Lisa is still a woman, and I think that will be the way it will always be. So it's just, it has to do with destroying the barriers, the obstacles to unity. They're torn down, they're destroyed by Christ. But we retain our gender. Brenda. That's right. Yep. Like. Yeah. Uh, I could try. <laughs> yeah, I think because, because all the people of God will be united and will we'll still be the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. But we're not in a redemptive context anymore that requires authority and submission, leading and following. I have doubts, I'm not convinced, I have doubts that those kinds of structures will still exist. Uh, I'm not sure, though. While, you, while we're talking about that, um, again, kind of to finish up, our fundamental identity is male or female image bearers of God. That's our nature, that's our essence. So our ultimate telos and goal in life is to become more like Jesus Christ. I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but our ultimate purpose, our goal in life, is not to get married and be a father or uh, get married and be a mother. Those are roles that are absolutely essential. It's part of the procreative aspect of building society. But our ultimate goal or purpose is not our roles. Right? So, 
a single man, a single woman, a married man, a married woman, pursuing Christ-likeness. That's what it's ultimately all about. And if God calls you to be single, if God calls you to be married, those are roles, important, essential, absolutely essential roles, but it's not our telos, it's not our end, it's not our goal, ultimate purpose. Pursue Christ-likeness as singles, as married, as male, as female, and live for the glory of God.